When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt and Final Rise. On this episode of the show, we talk to Will Larson of the Upland Rookie Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 181. Welcome back to the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, we will be joined by our guest, Will Larson, in just a few moments. First, thank you to all of the Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. We've got a June giveaway winner to announce. That would be Mark all the way from New Mexico, winner of the June Patreon giveaway gift basket. Thank you to Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba, Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, and Shooting Sportsman for contributing on Mark's gift basket. For the rest of you, had a few new signups this week. Thanks to the new patrons out there. You, along with all of the other patrons, are now eligible for our big preseason hunt giveaway extravaganza, if you will. Up for grabs over the next three months as of now is winner's choice, a vest system from Final Rise, Legacy Summit or Sidekick Series vest system from Final Rise, a Dogtra Pathfinder 2 GPS tracking and training collar, or a pair of 
First Light Sawbuck brush pants. You choose. We'll keep you updated on what remains leading up to hunting season, and we'll see if we can come up with another giveaway item or two to keep this thing going into the hunting season. You can sign up for as little as $5 a month. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. I thank you for considering that, and don't forget, you'll be eligible for the giveaways, special discounts like the one we have for Gumleaf USA, and you'll get some bonus content when that becomes available, which, hint, hint, should be sometime this month. A little side project Nick Adair of the Gundog It Yourself podcast and myself are working on. Some collaboration podcast slash video episodes slash to be determined on what exactly that looks like. But we did do the first episode of that bonus podcast series. We'll be getting that out to Patreon patrons in the very near future. So stay tuned for updates on that. And again, thanks for considering being a Patreon patron of the show. For the rest of you out there listening, you can always leave the show a rating or a review on your podcast app. Something very simple that you can do if you have not already done so. I certainly appreciate that. You can leave a rating in Spotify. On Apple, you can leave a star rating. You can also leave a review. All those little things help out the Birdshot podcast, and every little bit counts. So if you got a minute haven't done so, please subscribe to the show, follow the show, leave a comment, leave a rating. Appreciate that as well. Okay, this will be the last time you'll hear me remind you about the gun fitting giveaway we're doing with Upland Gun Company and Dell Whitman. Drawing will be next week. July 14th, and I should have everything in order to announce the winner on episode that will come out on July 15th. So if you are interested in a gun fitting with Dell Whitman, you got to get to Traverse City, Michigan, or possibly Minnesota, if the timing works out in August. We will arrange that with the winner. Let me know you're interested, and I will enter you in the contest. Anybody is eligible that is willing to travel to meet up with Dell. All you have to do is send me an email to nick at birdshotpodcast.com and put gunfitting in the subject line. I will take care of the rest. If you want more information on that and haven't heard about it yet, go back and listen to the recent episode we did with Del Whitman. I think it was episode number 177, Gunfitting with Del Whitman in collaboration with Birdshot Podcast and Upland Gun Company. All right, I'm going to wrap this intro. Hope everybody had a great 4th of July. We had a little bit of everything as far as weather goes in this part of the world. Some heat, some sunshine, some rain. I was at the cabin at the lake for most of the weekend. Had a really good time there. Got out and did a little bit of scouting and checking around some grouse covers. Hard to see anything right now. The woods are so thick. I did not see any birds, but didn't really spend a whole bunch of time out there. Saw some new timber harvesting and forestry work right near the cabin in a huge stand of rather mature predominantly oak trees that I had done some deer hunting in, really deemed it pretty unworthy of going in for grouse hunting. But future prospects looking good. The county recently hauled a lot of timber out there. It's a big south-facing slope, and I suspect I will be watching excellent forest regeneration there over the upcoming years. So as I jokingly said on a recent interview with our friend, the county forester, Mike Amon, Nice work, Mike, and keep up the great work. It's looking good there on the county forest, buddy. Oh, yeah, and I was talking about the weather before I got sidetracked daydreaming about future grouse covers. While it was generally quite nice at the cabin, when we returned home in the afternoon on the 4th of July, we were 
greeted here in Duluth by about a 30 degree dip in temperature. I believe the truck thermometer said 49 degrees. It was cool, damp, and the fog was so thick you could barely see through it. Not uncommon to have that kind of weather event here on the edge of Lake Superior. Usually it happens in June, getting a little late for that in July, but the firework display here was actually postponed. The fog and cold was that bad. So a little underwhelming on Independence Day here in Duluth, but I think the fireworks are actually scheduled to go down tomorrow, a full five days later. Looks like it's going to be a nice day tomorrow, Friday, so that was kind of funny, but... Neither here nor there. We're into July. The clock is ticking, and I hope you're all having a great summer so far. On today's show, we welcome of the Upland Rookie Podcast host Will Larson. No relation, by the way, but Will is a fellow Upland bird hunter. You may know him if you listen to his show, the Upland Rookie Podcast. If you do not, I will politely suggest that you check it out. And if you listen to this show, I suspect you'll probably find some of the conversations Will has over on his show interesting as well. So we'll learn a little bit more about Will today, his bird dogs, his history in upland hunting. We even talk about mountain biking, exercising with your bird dogs, grooming your bird dogs, or rather maybe how not to bike with or how not to groom your bird dogs, along with some stories and tidbits about Will's upland hunting adventures. So with that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot podcast of the Upland Rookie podcast, Will Larson. Will, welcome to the Birdshot podcast. Thanks for joining me today, man. Hey, thanks so much for uh, having me on, Nick. I'm going to make a suggestion that we uh, don't refer to each other via last names. I mean, I got a pretty good vibe with you, but let's let's save the last names and let's go first names on today's show, Will. Sounds sounds good, Larson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, did you did you make it to the Stanley Cup parade? Um, we did not. We, sadly, <laughs> sadly we did not make it to the parade. We were in uh, Dallas at the time. Oh, really? Um, but we watched. We were so we were actually driving down and we watched the entire thing. Uh, driving through New Mexico, part of part of uh, Texas, and so we felt like we were there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you earned it, right? <laughs> we did. We did. I mean, it, these boys—they put in the work. Uh, they got to. We'll just say they got to enjoy themselves. Uh, pretty, pretty good. Oh man, well, let's have you put us on the map. Where are we talking to you from today, Will? Yeah, so I am. Uh, I'm just south of Denver, Colorado. Uh, grew up in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, suburbs there and uh, been out here uh, almost seven years uh, out here in Denver. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, as uh, as Will and I are kind of joking about the Colorado Avalanche Stanley Cup champions this year, Will and I had we had a little back and forth. I got to be honest, man, I am like the wild went out and I talked about this on the podcast. Like I just, I think I was just way too into it and I've just had like a hockey hangover ever since the wild lost. And I, as much you, as I wanted can, to stick with it, I, I did not watch a whole lot of playoffs after the first round. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to say you came in hot and heavy. You oh were yeah, round with the wild were in it. You were like, they're going all the way. Like you were pumped, man. You should be. They yes. were, they were, they look like a good team, but man, you were, you were amped up. Yeah, I, I was, and it was it was a little bit of a like the perfect storm. I, I was kind of checked out on pro hockey for a while, and and uh, we've got a good college hockey team here, so they've kind of got us through the last decade. I would say 
the best co- team in college hockey over the last decade. I, I think I could say that uh, respectfully. <laughs> I think uh, and, DU just won the national championship. That's well, okay. yeah, there is that, <laughs> but the yes, Bulldogs did knock them out of the the Bulldogs knocked them out of the NCHC and they won the conference championship. So a small victory, but <laughs> yes, congrats to the Pioneers. You guys are kind of like your hockey high right now. Yeah, it's been awesome. We had a we had a high school team high school team here uh, in Denver. They won their uh, like the state tournament. State oh tournament, national yeah. champ. Okay. Well, I don't don't quote me. I don't know. So they won okay. a championship. I don't know which one. Yeah, DU gotcha. the Avalanche, and then uh, they mentioned another uh, a peewee team here in the, the Colorado area that won a big tournament up in uh, Calgary. So we're rolling, oh. man. That is cool. That is cool. Well, Denver is kind of a hockey hotbed. That's for sure. It's it's yeah. It's it's taken off for sure right now. And you were you've been a hockey fan kind of for all of your life, most of your life. Going going back yeah. to Chicago, right? Oh yeah, yeah, pretty much. My my uh, both my grandpa and my dad, um, they both played and coached uh, high school hockey. Oh okay. Um, so my my grandpa actually coached my dad uh, back in Illinois, and uh, so that was kind of a thing that we just grew up with since we were super young. But um, a kind of fun fact: I, I didn't actually start playing ice hockey until I was like much later uh, in life. Well. So maybe seventeen or eighteen. Um, I grew yep. up playing roller roller hockey was was okay. pretty popular in Chicago, a lot cheaper. Um, so did that for several years, and then finally talked my parents into uh, <laughs> to to get into ice hockey. So it uh, <laughs> it worked out. It's been it's been fun. I just play uh, just play some beer league right now, but it's fun. yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, and you've got uh, your kids. At least one of them is in hockey, or where are the other ones at? We got two technically right now. So we got the, the eight and then the five-year-old just started. Um, he played a spring league, uh, a spring program okay. this past the spring. And so, yeah, technically two and heading into the fall, we got uh, two <laughs> two hockey registrations coming up and some soccer for my daughter. And it's uh, it's going to be a full full boat. You don't plan on doing much hunting, do you? <laughs> oh, you bet I do. <laughs> <laughs> you bet I do, Nick. That's what PTO is for. Yes. Yeah, that is, that is true. That is true. Well, I would say by this point, uh, with the kiddos you've got and the hunting you've done, you've, you've figured out a way to, to balance it all. And it's a, uh, life is a balancing act in that regard, isn't it? It is for sure. It, it's not always pretty. It's not always perfect, but yeah. um, there's, there's, there's trade-offs. There's always, um, you know, there's, there's sacrifices on both ends, you know, whether yeah. it's, I might, might miss a practice or a game here, but then I'm, I'm saying no to some other trip. So it's a balance and I, I try to do the best I can, but I'm yeah. definitely going to be getting, getting some money. That's for sure. Yeah, good for you. Well, Will Larson, you are host of the Upland Rookie Podcast. We'll talk a little bit about the podcast, but let's let's go back to basics a little bit. I want to I want to hear a little bit more about how you got into bird hunting and and eventually how that led into the podcast. Where did that start? Were you were you exposed to that when you were growing up in Chicago? Was that a family thing or no? Uh, no, no, it actually wasn't. Um, so my my dad um, my dad deer hunted like randomly. It was like. One year he would deer hunt once. The next year he would do it twice. It was just super random. He, he'd go out with my uncles. Uh, both my uncles, they were super into big game hunting, white-tailed deer, waterfowl, the whole nine yards. Um, kind of growing up, like I always wanted to, uh, like wanted to get into that. I wanted to go along. My dad would do a couple goose hunts a year here and there, but nothing serious. Like it was nothing that was this big passion of his that, that he would do. But you were aware yeah. of it at the time. Obviously. I was aware and I was like, yeah. I would beg to go and it just, it yep. just didn't work. Like I was young and again, he was into it kind of casually. So it just didn't, didn't work for me. But yeah, I remember him bringing, you know, the bags, you know, he'd bring the couple Canadian uh, geese home and, oh, yeah. you know, start plucking them in the garage. I thought that was so cool. I was like, Oh my yeah. gosh, I want to be able to do this. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so didn't do any bird hunting. It wasn't until gosh, probably 
I don't know, 17, 18, something like that. Um, did a waterfall hunt with my uncle for the first time. And uh, I was just like, I, I, want, I want to try this. I need someone to take me and show me. And so waterfall hunting was my, kind of my first exposure to any kind uh, mm. of bird hunting. And so did that a few times with my uncle, um, but then didn't, didn't get, do any upland hunting. And to be honest with you, I, had, I mean, I knew there was pheasant and quail. Like I was like, yeah, there's, there's pheasant and quail. That's what upland hunting is. Yeah. I had no idea what kind of grouse species there are, sage grouse, rough. Like that was, wasn't even on my radar. So, um, so after I got married, actually, so I was early 20s probably, uh, my dad randomly joined a uh, hunt club, a hunt preserve out in, uh, out in Illinois. And he's like, hey, let's, let's go out and let's do some hunting and you know, this is something I'm, I'm going to you know, try or something. It's r- super random. And uh, so that was my, my very first exposure to upland hunting. I was like, what the heck is this? Like I always wanted to, it was in the back of my mind of like, yeah, it'd be fun to try someday. Yeah. Um, my, my mind was like, oh, you go to South Dakota, you do these big, like, I don't know, there's like a, um, a bunch of people there. Like that was my, my idea of what upland That's what you was. envisioned. Yeah. 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 Again, just from my, my own limited experience. And so, um, yeah, we, we, uh, we had a guide um, take us out and he had Brittany's. Which uh, may may lead into plant the seed. My, my my addiction maybe with uh, with <laughs> Brits, but um, yeah, his name is Bill, and, and uh, we went out with him several times. My dad, uh, we, we we became very close with this guy, Bill. Um, like we would only book with him if he was available to do our to do our hunts, and he had a couple great dogs, and just his. Uh, I mean, he would like to, he would take time to explain things like, Hey, here's, here's, cause like I'm watching these dogs point or try to catch scent. And I'm like, what are they doing right now? Like what's, what's going on? And yeah. he did a fantastic job of, of explaining things. He's an older retired guy. Um, but that was, that was my first experience in, into upland hunting and, and what that, uh, that, that entailed. Well, obviously very positive And like you said, sort of planted the seed, uh, for down the road. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, watching those Brits, I mean, I'll, I'll remember my first point watching them, watching really? Brittany lock up on a, on a uh, pheasant again, preserve birds, you know, smaller yeah. fields. But to me, that was, that was like, this is everything. Like, this is like, oh my gosh, like these dogs are like, how, how do they do that? Like I had so many questions and it was like this, you know, again, I'm, I'm early twenties at this point, but this is all, all new experience to me. Yeah. Um, so that, that really planned a seed of like, like, okay, this is, this is something cool. Um, so yeah. So then at what point, like, did you start bird hunting again on your own before you got your first Brit or how did that come together? So I don't know if I've ever told anyone this. I actually bought a Labradoodle back in Illinois. Okay. I was still doing the hunt club with my dad and I was like, I'm going to train this Labradoodle to hunt. I'm going to have my, (laughs) I'm going to have my own bird dog. It's going to be awesome. I didn't know if they pointed, if they flew, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but my wife agreed on a Labradoodle. And so we, we had her, I did a really poor, like I had no knowledge. I I did not go down the learning route yet of of exploring it, but I was like, I'm going to take her out and put her on, put her on some pheasants. Let's just say it did not, not go well. (laughs) Did not go well. She turned out to be a fine, kind of a fine house dog, kind of crazy, but um, so did not. At the time, it's interesting that you bring that up because I feel like, you know, now there is a lot of, there's a lot of information or a lot of outlets that people can turn to, but I feel like at various times in, in the past and probably still today, you know, people don't necessarily go off the deep end like a lot of us do that, that maybe would listen to this show or, or listen to your show, but they just take, they get a dog and they take it hunting and their expectations are, are probably set in a way that maybe they don't 
like the dog might not be on paper awesome, but they don't know any better and they're, they're enjoying the, I shouldn't say they don't know any better, but their expectations are such that they're just loving it. Like, was that at all like the case with you or did you say, no, this dog is doing things wrong? No, hundred percent. I was having the time of my life out there. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, I paid paid for a couple couple pheasants. I had my had like my waterfowl bag and my my big old heavy uh, uh, waterfowl gun out there. And I was like, this is freaking awesome. Like yeah. this dog is is tearing it up, and she the birds are flying everywhere, and she's running around having a blast. Her name was Remington. Like I was like, this dog oh, beautiful. is beautiful. Have a <laughs> have a hunting name. Like I, I didn't know any better. I had no one yeah. to turn to. No no one to like got like I didn't know how. Like I just thought you just take the dog out and right. just turn it <laughs> turn it loose. Yeah. I saw this guy's Brittany's. You know the the guide Bill. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know. They just kind of naturally do that thing. I don't yeah. Know. It was. I look back on it. And I'm like. It was a, in a good way, like a formative time, like just to kind of like feel it out for myself and just have no clue what I was doing and, and did no research, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And you, but you probably weren't second guessing yourself at every, you know, like, again, like you said, you, you just had a, you had the right attitude about it and watching a dog interact with a bird, whether or not it's doing it the way that it's supposed to or not is, is fun. Oh yeah, it was it was a blast, and she was just running around like and more of a flushing dog. She's like running around; yeah. these birds are flying. I'm like, this, this is great. I, I didn't shoot anything, but got some good got some good pictures. Had a, had a blast. I'm like, this is cool. Um, so all that to say that that did not last long. I I, I don't know how or why, but I, I kind of realized like, all right, this I don't know. It just wasn't taking off. Yeah, again, it didn't have a lot of like. It just wasn't working. So yeah, I, I, yeah. What was the, what was the original question before we got on the labradoodle train? So then move from there into the Brits and w- yeah, yeah, whether or not yeah. that entails the the relocation to Colorado or not. But yeah, yeah. So so the relocation to Colorado um, that was just a, a for a work thing, and so yeah. um, we we moved out here for work. Um, again, I had some so a couple of years of separation of not, of not doing any hunting. Uh, Remy, okay. the labradoodle, she was just a house dog, whatever. Yep. And then um, I. You know, going back to again those those early days, I'm sure we all have it. Like, what was our first experience? Well, my first experience of upland hunting was watching those Britneys uh, point yeah. these birds, retrieve these birds, handle well, like super sweet. Like that was my impression that was left on me. And as I always said, like, if I could have a bird dog, it, it'd be a Britney. Never yeah. told my wife this ever. She had no idea <laughs> a Britney was in the back of my mind, and she had she didn't really know I would you know want to get into hunting. It was just in the back of my mind. So mm-hmm. um, a family from our church uh, sent out like a church-wide email of the head of litter of puppies. Um, they posted a picture of, they had a picture of the mom and the, the dad. And as soon as I saw um, both the dogs, mainly the, the, the sire, um, his name is Hank. Um, I was like, that's a badass hunting dog. Like that is, <laughs> that is the Brittany. That's the kind of Brittany, like what structure, build, the look. Yep. Like, I, I, I need one of his dogs. And so sheepishly, like, came over to my, like, my wife. I'm like, hey, um, so uh, you would get a <clears throat> hunting dog? <laughs> and she's like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, so so kind of long story short, she got on board pretty darn quickly, actually. Um, she's like, well, you're not just going to hunt with it, right? Like, it's going to be a family dog, too. I'm like, yeah, yep, mm-hmm, De- definitely, definitely family dog. So um, lo and behold, you know, started looking at this litter and talking with the breeder. And, um, and that was just kind of it for me. Like I, I knew I yeah. wanted those dogs and again, it goes back to, you know, my, my time with them. Um, another kind of fun fact. Um, so I named my, so my first dog Gage, he, um, that's the name of the first Brittany I hunted with back in Illinois. His name was also Gage. 
and it left. Oh, really? <laughs> it left. It, it, it what? It left such an <laughs> impression on me. Yes. <laughs> Hope it's copycat or what? But like that was like I was like that's a hunting dog's name. Like that's, that's your that's next what, one's gonna be named Eight Seventy. Well, Ace probably, because <laughs> the other dog I hung with was Gage. It was Gage and Ace. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was it was kind of all over from there. Uh, that's awesome. So so a litter of Britney puffs literally fell in your lap, basically. Pretty much through it. Through Is that a like a common thing email. for people to email around uh, puppy litters, or was that oh, just really well, like a one-off thing? <laughs> they would they would do random things. This email chain it was like it went out to like a thousand people. Gotcha. And yeah. It so was like, you hey, never you know, knew what they're having a garage up. sale one weekend. Stop by our house, or hey, we have yeah. a litter of hunting dogs. Like I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> so uh, so so that's interesting. Now so now. So you've you've kind of like you took a break from hunting. You've obviously you've been on your first hunts, and you know you like it. You like certain things about it, but again, some separation, a move. You get a dog. Now what? Now what's the plan? That's why I started listening to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, no, no joke, no joke. So no, I mean, so, so that was, that's kind of went where I went into like okay, like I have this this really I, I know it was a well bred uh, hunting dog is bred for a purpose. Like now, what yeah. do I do? And that's the, that's the hard part is like you figuring out where to start, like being a new upland hunter, I had this fire in me, had the dog. Now what? And yep. that was, that was kind of where, uh, accumulation of things. One, it, it's doing all the research yourself, like, like asking the questions, whether it's podcasts, articles, YouTube, like there are a lot of things out there for us to get information and learn. Absolutely. The, the tipping point for me though, um, and and I I don't want to overstate mentor at all. That gets tossed around a lot. Yeah. But um, so the breeder, um, the family from our church who who had the, the female dog, um, we stayed in contact with them a little bit. Gage was you know maybe a couple months old now, and uh, they said, hey, like the guy who owns his sire, or, um, Jeff Jeff Hoskins, um, you know he's a really great guy. You know about forty minutes away. You know give him a call like if you ever want to you know like again just where to start or mm-hmm. show you a couple things to do like that was it and i was like oh, all right you know maybe this was something that i was nervous of i was like "Ooh, that's i don't know i, I like doing the research on my own time my own pace yep. like i don't know about involving someone else into this so it took me a little while to kind of get the courage to to make that call but um i, I sent him a text i was like hey this is this is will i just picked up one of your puppies um you know i don't know like can, can i come out to your place or something and he's like, sure. And so, so seeing some of those things, like the hands-on stuff, like was um, so valuable. Like, like you yeah. can read about introducing a, a dog to a bird. Or you can read about doing gun intro, like all those basic things. You can read about it, which is really, really good. But seeing it from from someone who's been doing it for gosh, thirty five years, that was where things started to change for me and develop. And I could ask questions and, and see things. He'd show me things on his older dogs and, you know, show me puppies and, and getting that hands-on experience was a, was a huge turning point for me in, uh, and kind of just like understanding this whole, whole thing of upland hunting and, and bird dog development. Yeah. Was he, um, then kind of influential in, in sort of expanding your upland hunting in that part of the country, part of the world, obviously you're, you're hunting out there. Um, I, w- I would say more. I mean, he, so he, he's big into uh, field, running field trial dogs, big into AKC okay. horseback trials. That that's kind of his 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 love. Like he loves developing yeah. dogs, getting them in the the trial circuit. Um, does a ton of wild bird hunting as well. But yeah, that that like I always knew I wanted to like uh, like I, again. I've loved trials. I've just started getting into some of those now in the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Yep. Like my thing was like I wanted to hunt wild birds. Like whatever I did with my dogs. 
I wanted them to be to go hunt birds with me, hunt pheasants, That's kind of quail. first and foremost for you. Yeah. So, so I, I knew that in the back of my mind. This just helped fuel the – like how do you get your dog – ready for that because that was a part that was i was missing like how do you work on recall and quartering and and what about like is what is like what is range was that too far is that too close like breaking down those kinds of things of understanding you know how to do those things with my dog those are those are the parts that that i really took away yeah there's there's a lot to soak up and learn obviously and that's it's hard to go back to that beginner's mind and just like when you're totally in the dark on some of that stuff, like, like you said, you know, what is range and recall and, and how might I influence that? It's just your perspective changes so much, even just having one dog, obviously it's, you know, you don't learn everything with one dog and, and ideally you get number two and, and number three and number four, if we're lucky, you know, you keep going and you have all that perspective, but there is, there's a lot, it's a very deep pursuit and it takes a lot of sort of reading research to sort of understand those fundamental concepts. But then, like you said, the hands-on experience and having somebody yeah. guide you through all those common pitfalls and stuff. That's uh absolutely. And, and the, the hard thing too, is like have being a first time bird dog owner and, and new to this, this space, I was there, I always felt this inner like pressure of kind of two things. One, not wanting to mess the dog up. So there was like, should I should not do that because in fear of maybe that's not right. But then the other side of that is not doing enough. And so there was this constant pressure with the first dog, again, on myself of, you know, he had to be on birds every day, three times a day. Like I had that in my mind. I was like, because he's not going to be a bird dog then. Well, no, when you you get to talk to someone and and someone who knows what they're doing, like they can break it down, like, like it slow down, like enjoy the dog, like work on some basic things. Like it's helps break those things down because there's this pressure of feeling like, I, he has the dog has to know X, Y, and Z before yep. he's six months old. Well, no, no, you gotta like like now I can look back and see like let a puppy develop and, and figure things out for them, themselves and and use their brain to learn really. Yeah, I think the the pressure on on you the handler especially as a as a first timer that's something I can definitely relate to. I, I know I've talked about it like a bunch of different times on this podcast throughout the years, and yeah, it's it's just until you know until you see a dog go through it and develop and, and realize like they can be resilient to develop, you know, despite all of our shortcomings, right. Then you just have such a more of a sense of calm. Like when it comes, when it comes to dog number two, that's been my experience. It's, it's kind of like kids, right? I mean, you have like, yeah. two kids yes. now, right? It's like the yeah, first I got one. Two. You, yep. you'll know what the crap you're doing. Like with the first kid, uh, you're no. like, <laughs> you kind of just have to figure it out. And, and we, we do it. We figure it out. But then the second one, you're like, okay, this is kind of like, how we do it as a family. This is our groove. This is like, yes. I, don't know. I, I always view yeah. it back to that. It's like, I feel bad for our first kid. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parallels. My wife gets a little, she kind of looks at me sideways when I start trying to incorporate dog training principles into raising the children. But <laughs> I feel like there's some parallels there. <laughs> Absolutely. On, I would totally agree. <laughs> I would totally agree. I'm like, honey, let me tell you about this uh, metaphor. <laughs> if they're not uh, exhibiting the behavior uh-huh. that we want, we do not reward them. <laughs> Positive reinforcement. Where's the clicker? <laughs> oh man yes oh. yes there are certainly parallels there and and ones that uh many of the listeners will will know about for sure but no that's awesome man i uh i've, I've obviously learned a little bit about you listening to the upland rookie podcast over the last you're about a year and a half into it now yeah is that about yeah, right yeah, a little over a year i think maybe yeah maybe a little shy of a year and a half perhaps by the time folks well, listen to this episode. You will have 50 episodes out or very close to. I think you're at 49 right now, aren't you? Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Yep. Fifty is fifty is on the horizon. Yeah. I got to tell you a funny story. When this was the last year, when I was changing this show to the Birdshot Podcast, part of that was picking a new intro song. And I went on one of the, you know, the music services and I'm listening to a bunch of stuff and kind of like have a vibe that I'm, that I'm thinking about and found a couple that I liked. And I heard this one and I'm like, ah, oh, I really like that. You know, that's, that sounds, that sounds great. And I was, I think it was like a few days or even a week where I would kind of have that in the back of my mind, like that's the one. And fortunately I didn't go through with it, but I listened to an episode of your show and there was that song and I'm like, Oh, that's why it resonated so well with me. It's the intro music to the Upland rookie that's podcast. So, awesome. That's yeah. so funny. It, yeah. It, it was like, I thought that was gonna be super hard, but yeah, I went on one of those platforms and one of the perks of knowing a bunch of uh, sound guys at my church and uh, yeah, like, we're sifting through some sites and uh, yeah, I came across this. So it was like, I picked like, I don't know, the third, fourth one I listened to. I'm like, done. <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Upland Rookie podcast That's intro too music. Funny. <laughs> you mentioned that you, you listened to my show and I know you listened to some other podcasts. What was the inspiration, motivation to start the Upland Rookie podcast? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I sat on the, uh, I guess the idea, I guess it was kind of rumbling around my head. I'm like, like, what if I were to start one? Like what, like what would that look like? And that was, that mm-hmm. was an initial thought a couple years back. And again, just put it in the back of the mind, had to mull on it for a while. And the more I, more I kind of thought about it, like kind of like what you and I were just talking about, it's kind of hard. Like, I'm just going to be honest. Like it's hard getting into upland hunting. If, if you're starting later in life and um, you did not grow up into it, like it can just, there's some hurdles that you have to figure out and you can do it. Absolutely. Um, you'll figure it out. People will, will do the research and, and find the people to talk to and, and learn. Um, but kind of that, like that was the, I guess the initial like tipping point for me that if I could, if I could take time to, you know, help one person, a couple people, you can just navigate, you know, their, their way through, you know, getting into bird dogs, you know, raising bird dogs is like, there's no manual for it. Like there's a bunch of different people's videos and opinions, but, um, you know, and, and kind of the other side to this is that other group of people. So the other hunters and bird dog, you know, guys and girls who've been doing this for years there's like, there's so much we can learn from them. And so like, how can we like meld those two things together? Um, and so that, that that's kind of like that, what was ruminating or like, I don't know, ruminating. That's a weird word. <laughs> it was just collecting in my mind for a while. And I was like, you know, I'm yeah. going to put this, you know, you know, some thoughts down on, uh, on paper and, and give this a shot. And, um, it was, it was super scary. Like I, I, you know, I listened to some, you know, your podcast, a bunch of other great podcasts out there. And I was like, well, you know, they, you know, they know what they're talking about. I, I, don't, I don't, I'm new. <laughs> I don't, I don't have the level of knowledge or the, you know, the years of experience. Like I was, I was newer to this still. So only into it, I don't know, four, four years at that point when I started it. Yeah. So a lot of doubts, a lot of like, eh, maybe this isn't right, but um, the more I'm doing it, man, like I'm learning so much, you know, from these conversations I'm having as well. And, and realizing too, like, again, again, no matter, no matter your experience level, no matter if someone just started last year, they have something to offer as well. Like, like they learned something last season that they can pass on to you or me or Joe down the street. Yep. Um, and so just because they're a rookie or someone new to this does not mean that they don't have something to offer. And so I think that was, that was another, another factor I thought was, was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate that. And it's definitely, it's something I've thought about and it goes back to, sometimes it's hard to go back to that beginner's mind and think about what are the questions, you know, I had or, or even put yourself in the, in that place where you didn't understand what bird dog development was uh, regarding range or recall or developing 
bird finding and, and just all of that stuff. And I think that's the cool thing about the podcast and is that the again the barrier so low for somebody to start so that we get more perspectives. You can get you can hear from more people, I guess. And yeah, I've always felt there's something that somebody that's just getting started can share. What questions do they have? Yeah. What are they how are they thinking about things? And then, you know, next week interview somebody that's been doing it for thirty or forty years and and have the podcast kind of be that intersection or Yeah. Well, the well, the cool. I mean, yeah, you're you're saying, you're hitting the nail on the head. Like I, I've had, I guess the most encouraging thing that I I will receive from people is the, it's those older guys and girls who are reaching out to me who have been doing it for thirty years and saying, "Hey, Will, like just just heard the podcast and and I never thought of that thing or that was really interesting." Like, and to hear yeah. those the people who've been doing this for the, that many years take something away, I'm like, wow, like that's in my win. That, that's or in my book. That's that's a huge win. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. That's a lot of it's a it's affirmation in what you do, and yeah. like you said, yeah, for sure, you're sort of recording your journey in this too. I mean, there's there's a selfish component to the podcast, and you get to yeah. learn all of this stuff from the guests. But while you're doing that, you're recording it and making it available to other people. That's it's uh, uh, the space has developed in a, in a way that it's there are very low barriers for people to start them, and mm-hmm. I think we all we all benefit from that. And we're seeing, you know, there's there's lots of upland podcasts out there, and I may interview the same person that you do, but guaranteed the conversations are going to be slightly different, right? Yeah, yeah, as it should be. That's awesome. Yeah. So I did. Uh, I, I made a note. I wanted to. I, I heard that you were uh, buzzing down one of your dogs recently. Nick Adair and I were talking about this last week, and uh, your Amazon clippers broke. Yes. <laughs> what the Amazon, heck happened? My Amazon clippers. <laughs> I dropped them. I, I dropped my clippers. I don't know if that's an um, insult to Amazon because they're not Amazon branded, but that's where no, you they were them. not. They were not Amazon branded, but Amazon gets blamed for yes. for associating themselves. No, right? Um, yeah, so they broke. Um, so did it? Did my um, shave my dog halfway, and then had to wait two was whole it days. Yeah, it was Gage. Oh, poor Gage. Had to, had to, I felt so bad for him, man. It was it was it was bad. Like it was real bad. Um, so yeah, two whole days, man, for that, that two day shipping until I got the, uh, the new ones. And then I just went hog wild and I was just like, all right, crank it down to like a one and just, <laughs> just go to town. So I, I will say it's, it's looking a heck of a lot better now. That's it's, good. it's starting to grow back and, and looking, I usually do it once a year. So, yeah. So did you get the same clippers? Same exact ones. No kidding. Yeah. Pieces of crap. <laughs> but they're like 30 bucks. No, no. They're expensive, Nick. Really? Yeah, really. I don't know why I did. Don't ask me why. I just I knew they did a good job. Just don't drop them from. You know, I'm I'm tall. I'm, if I drop oh, something, so it, I'm dropping it from like uh, I don't know. I gotcha. Six six feet up in the air. <laughs> like so, they didn't just fall apart. No, they exploded. <laughs> because you dropped them, though. <laughs> because I dropped them. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So I gotcha. more you get, you get more pieces of the puzzle now. Yeah. Well, I I brought that up because when you. I, this is something that I've got into with my setters. I, I buzz them down, shave them down once or sometimes twice a year. I don't really have a super defined system. It's actually only Harley. I've yet to do anything to Rose's coat. It's just not to the point where I feel like it needs to have, she needs to have a lot of hair removed. But another one of those things about having some kinds of bird dogs, not all bird dogs require this, but take a, take a bird dog to a groomer's once and, it just never feels good, you know, forking over yeah. like 60 or 80 oh, bucks no. to have 
<laughs> no, so I'm like, like two, like two, two more, two more trims. It'll, it'll pay for, uh, exactly pay for these, these clippers. But hey, random question. I got a lot of people when I shaved uh, Gage that a lot of people think like if you shave a dog, their hair will never grow back. Have you heard that? Have you, have you heard people's I, concerns about that? I've never heard that. And I can I, I definitely assure times. you that it, it grew back on my dog. <laughs> it's, very, it's very interesting to me. Everyone's like, oh, like his hair, is his hair going to grow back? I'm like, I wonder if that's it, something it about a certain breed or something. It might be. I, I didn't hmm. quite understand it, but I heard it quite a bit in the last yeah. couple of months. I, I remember asking you about those clippers because I have a set of clippers that they are, I thought they really were not, I thought it was the clippers fault, but. Obviously, it's my my lack of experience, but they are corded, which the cord is such a pain. Yeah. You wouldn't think I got a, so, I got a but it, it one is. Too. Yeah, it is such a pain when you're trying to like sort of navigate, and I don't know. It just it seems to make it so much harder. And I think you had a pair of cordless ones. So I, I have two. So I have I have a heavy duty corded one. It's like a okay. wall a wall brand. Yes, that's what I've got. That's the one that exploded and broke. I tried ah. shaving him with the cordless one. And yep. that his it was his coach is too too much for that the power of that one the battery yeah battery's not so great yeah but like doing okay. like his legs and and like his his butt feathers like that it's really good for that yeah but sure doing his whole body it, it wasn't cutting it yeah it's kind of nerve wracking when you start like you start trimming away at it. <laughs> I know like, it, oh, it, should I have done and this? you start seeing the lines in there and you're just like yes. oh my god uh, like the yeah. thing that I learned is that they. You got to give it a week, and it will like yeah. kind of go yeah. away, right? Like, like it, look, it looks great now. We're we're several weeks out now, and it looks. Yeah. I mean, it looks really good. But yeah, first like week, it was like you see like the comb lines or like the buzz yes. lines in it. Like, <laughs> oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Which like I don't know how the groomers get around that, but obviously they are much better at what they do, and they do it all day. But how do, how do you do your dog's ears? That's that's the part I suck at. <laughs> Just trim away until I feel like I've taken enough hair off. It's like I have no, I've watched, there's YouTube videos on like grooming an English setter. And there was even a a good one. Like I know I found one. It was like, it was like a guy that hunts. He's like, these are my hunting English setters. And this is how I trim them. And I take two thirds of the, the ear hair off. And, and so I've kind of tried to like emulate things that I see, but basically what I'm doing with Hartley is he doesn't have, for a setter, he's a field type English setter. His coat is pretty trim. It's not super flowy and feathery all over. So I'm taking less hair off of him than others. But I mean, still taking a lot of a lot of hair off. When I gave him a trim last week, it was like I was kind of surprised myself. Like I didn't really think you had that much hair on you, buddy. But <laughs> sure enough, you did. And so I, I really, he's got really long ears, and they get a lot of hair up there, and that can trap moisture in there. So I really. I try to make sure the the feathering and the stuff is taken off behind and under the ears just to help yeah. with airflow because they're swimming and stuff in the summer. And then I just kind of start. I'm just taking basically off the top, back, and sides, and don't like I don't cover every square inch of it, but you just try to blend it in certain areas. And I will say you're going this with is, you're going with the the direction. I go of the with hair. because that's what like all yeah. of the grooming experts say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but. I that seems like a pain too. Yeah, it, well, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's getting anything. So yeah. then I engage. I started going the opposite direction. Did you back? And that wasn't okay. good. <laughs> I just changed quickly. Do you start getting too short? Yeah, yeah, uneven. Like it, it just you can't okay. control how even it's going to be when you start going against the hair. Okay. Okay. 
Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and Fred of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. Yeah, this is uh, this is definitely not a uh, an expert grooming podcast. This is a, I just had a, this I just had a great idea. We we should start a side podcast for uh, Upland Dog Grooming. <laughs> Upland just Dog a whole, Grooming, a whole nother series, a whole nother channel. I bet we could do four episodes a month on that. I, I bet we could. Maybe maybe <laughs> some bonus ones too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am pleased with the amount of money I am saving. From yes. the groomers. Apologies out there to the local grooming shops. You all did a great job, but uh, it's well worth it. it. Well worth it's, it. It's it's something that uh, if you've got a dog that needs grooming, I would recommend giving it a try and not being too intimidated by it. Absolutely, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> it is summertime. You've been biking with your dogs and getting them trained up, conditioned. Yeah, yeah, I have been. Yeah, Gage has been. He's been rocking and rolling. He's up to like three or four miles right now. Um, so building building his stamina back up. Um, and then when I've had a couple successful rides with her, um, okay. you know, she's the younger one that, that I'm just, How old? Uh, seven, 17 or 18 months now. Okay. All right. Um, so kind so of her second summer. Yeah. Yep. So I, I tried like the bike maybe like one or two times really, really short last year. Yeah. Um, just get her comfortable with it. And then this year hit it a little bit harder and she's, she's had a couple successful rides. We, we haven't had any spills yet, but she's, she's still figuring out, you know, she's a puppy still. She's just kind of like. I don't know. Yep. Gage is he's so locked in. As soon as we put him on the bike and the harness, like he's like, All right, it's it's go time, time to run straight and, and that's all we're doing. So she's a little more sporadic right now. So it's just a little dicey. Yeah. I have done a little bit of that with my dogs and with I know you did an episode on this recently where you kind of it was like a solo episode and you talked about biking with the dogs and, and mm-hmm. some of the pitfalls or things to watch out for. So folks should check that out. But I have had success doing that. And with Hartley, I did not, he must've been maybe three or four by the time I got a mountain bike and decided, Hey, I'm going to try this. And he kind of took right to it. Sort of like you're describing with Gage. I didn't have any issues. I took it slow to begin. And we had a couple good seasons before I got Rose of, of running with the bike. And the way that I can do it around here is I have him on a leash hooked up to the bike until I get to like a local forested area where there's trails and stuff. And then I kind of run him off leash and we did well oh, with that. Okay. That's nice. Um, so I wasn't technically roading him the whole time, so to speak, but yeah. obviously the pace was quicker and he was doing more running with me on the bike. And I really yeah, liked yeah. that with Rose. I tried her first summer and it was either her first summer, or maybe it was last summer where she was about maybe the same age as Wynn, yeah. and, Going really slow, but we had a 
there was a butterfly. A butterfly <laughs> floated across, butterfly. <laughs> floated across <laughs> the trail, and she jumped in front of the bike and kind of basically got hit with the front. T- I mean, I remember it like I was I was really nervous that she was going to be hurt, but she sprung up and she was fine. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's so, it's definitely there are some things to watch out for. <laughs> so for me, so so it gets you know super hot here in the summer, but the evenings yep. are really cool here in Colorado. And right. so you know, Gage, there's no problem. I take him out at night, put a, put a bike light on, and, and I'm good to go. Um, yeah. So th- this part of the trail, we we go, we have to go on some sidewalk, um, like a sidewalk trail to get to the main gravel trail. And uh, so the the frogs start coming out at night. Oh. They, all, they all get on the the, the sidewalk. Warm black and so, top. Or, yeah, and or, I, I didn't yeah. even think about it with wind. Like we're cruising along and all of a sudden she did what Rose did and just like, boom, you know, pounces on a frog. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> and, and we're in like frog, like terror. It's like they're like, um, I don't know. Like those those in ground like mortars like they're just like everywhere and so like you go like ten feet and there's another one twenty feet another one and she's just like having a blast I'm like oh my god this is this. so I, I I walked her out of that section and just get away yeah. from all the all the dang frogs yeah so you're still still working on things with her hoping it's that work in progress eventually we'll just focus on the run and not the frogs yeah exactly that's, that's the hope that is yeah. the hope we'll get we'll get there hopefully by the end of the summer since you've got two dogs are you do you take one one day and one the next day? Do you take one out and then the other one? Because when I added the second dog, then my biking exercising has kind of gone by the wayside because like, I don't really have a great solution for that. I like to run both my dogs at the same time, just be efficient, get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So so I haven't run both of them together yet. Um, once I get wind trained up, I'll, I'll definitely um, get her try to do harness. That. Yeah. And, and couple them together. Um, so definitely I'll, I'll try that, I guess. I need her to be a little more, <laughs> a little more confident. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, typically I'll, I'll do the same, same day. So I'll go do a 20 minute ride with Gage, come back, drop him off, then grab a win. And so just try to knock it out. And then I'm doing it. I mean, on average, maybe three to four times a week. I try to like, if Gage, like we go hard, like we're going four or five miles and he's, yep. he has a good workout. Like I'm going to give him a rest day, yep. um, before we, before we do it again. So now I'm trying to be, you know, again, somewhat strategic with it not just trying to run him into the ground and all that. But, um, yeah, so yeah, it's, it, it, it can be quick too. Like living in the suburbs, like it, it's just a, it's a quick, easy and efficient way to like right. work, get the dogs conditioned, keep them conditioned. Um, so it's, it's worked pretty well. Yeah. Now I'm guessing you've got some kind of attachment on your bike and you're not just wrapping the leash around the handlebars. <laughs> um, oh, Nick, what if I said I was? <laughs> well, then I no, would want to so. hear some more stories about it. <laughs> um, so so two, two setups. The, the system I used for the last several years, um, it was just a, a rough, rough wear harness and okay. then yep. a, a leather leash. That. A, a six foot leather leash. That was all I used. Okay. Um, a, a pull. Uh, I think. I don't know. For me, I liked it favoring my left side of my handlebar because if if I needed to like yank the dog back or, or kind of control uh. them a little bit, I had a little power. So I would never put in the center or the right side. I was. It's a weird thing. I was. I liked it on the left side. Um, but the the dicey part with that, as you can imagine, having a, a leash that will get slack. Um, yep you know, keeping it or getting it in, caught up in the front tire was a real, real concern. It happened a few times. Um, but you kind of have to be quick enough to like be able to one handed, like reach around. If the dog does slow down, reach around the front to kind of keep that, that leash up a little bit. <laughs> so it, it was a pain. I know people probably think I'm nuts. <laughs> it was a real pain, but 
with Gage, like he was so focused on running forward, he really figured out this game. And so again, it wasn't that it wasn't as bad as it sounds. Yeah. But the new system I got, so it's a um, um, what's the company? Nonstop Dogwear. Um, so they they do like a bunch of Caney Cross and sled dog stuff. Mm-hmm. So their harnesses are, are designed a little better, um, better pulling points. So I got him the harness and then a bungee leash. Yes. Uh, so six foot, maybe, I think it's six and a half foot um, bungee leash. That thing's a game changer. Um, having like consistent pressure on that leash, and so so when he the dog does slow down a little bit, um, tightens it, up. It, yeah, it tightens up, so you, so you yep. don't have as much of a concern with that that front wheel. So that's been a big game changer. Um, it's a smoother too for me. It's it's not as much you know jerking the bike back and forth. Yeah, um, smoother for the dog, and so that th- those two things, and that's I just have that kind of looped around my bike stem. So it, so it is center now. Um, again, it just feels more comfortable that way. Yeah. Um, so that's been a really, really sweet setup, even for Wynn, like that young puppy now. I, I honestly can't imagine, knowing how she runs on the bike, I can't imagine having a, a leather leash right now like, like I was with yeah. Gage because it would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah. I will say the what I used, I tried a couple different things. Obviously, the leash thing, you figure out, right away it's it's a tricky thing if the dog is right there next to you it's fine but if there's any variation in that the leash becomes an issue so i got you can get a running leash on amazon which is what i got they're basically a belt that you wear and then a shorter mm-hmm. it's a bungee leash like you're talking about made for joggers but i actually use that on my bike I messed around with one attachment to get it on my bike, but it just did not fit on my mountain bike very well, mm. just that particular attachment. So I had the weight, the the belt strapped around my waist and found that to work well because if the dog the dog pulls on the leash at all subtly, mm. it's it's not pulling on the handlebars or anything. It I felt like I could tolerate a lot of a lot of pull on yeah. in that section around my waist without having you know without falling off my bike or something that's like. interesting I, and where's the dog is he out front or on the side of you dog is on the right on the right side on the side of you okay so he's not okay. out not out front um the other thing i was did you ever have you ever seen those the, like those little like scooter bikes that are kind of designed for like yeah cross? I've, I've looked into those i almost bit. bought one of those <laughs> oh those look cool those look really yeah. cool because that's like the dog could do either way, but they're kind of like pulling you. But then obviously your feet, and they're made kind of like mountain yeah. bikes, so you can go off roading, but your feet are yep. right near the ground, so you could jump off and stop at any time. Because well, there's no there's no seat really. Is there a seat or no? There's no no. There's on. no seat. I think you're basically just standing. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that'd be a little safer, honestly. I, I think so too. Yeah. So and I, yeah, because I'm, I'm using like my my nicer mountain bike, and I'm just always like, I don't know. I'm just like worried. Like if there's a crash or something, I'm like yeah. biking my dog and. I'm, bust my mountain bike yeah <laughs> yeah this has definitely not been uh an expert based podcast on dog grooming we or... we went down a whole <laughs> different rabbit hole yeah. it started with grooming yeah. and now it now it took a yeah. turn for uh bike yeah. choring these are like summer summer related uh bird dog conversations though i think lots of people are thinking about this I'm stuff. Gonna get out of the, get out of the garage and the wife's gonna be like well, so what do you guys talk about it's like oh, you know grooming and biking your dog she's like what <laughs> uh you plan to do any bird hunting this fall will uh i sure hope so nick i sure (laughs) hope so (laughs) you got another little one on the way don't you in my in my mind yes we do we do we have uh we have number six on the way uh due early september um so usually that she my wife's a little early like a week early so we're thinking early september 
so yeah, so I, I again in my mind I have I have some like tentative trips planned. Um, yep. I'm going to get up north again to Montana, North Dakota. Okay. Um, other than that, I'm just going to I don't know. I'm trying to plan, but I'm also trying to be flexible and leave some things open. Yeah. What is your go to home turf hunt? Not not where, but like if you're going to just kind of go hunting, the closest thing that you can do and kind of maybe do the most of each fall. What does that look like? I mean, so if we're talking practically, it, it would be probably like pheasants in Colorado. Okay. Um, like that's, that's, it's the closest probably thing, probably, um, thing yep. that I would, yeah, the closest thing I would do. The, the more and more I, I'm in this and up on hunting, the less mm-hmm. I hunt pheasants and the less okay. I enjoy it, it it's fine. I'll, I'll go on a couple of pheasant hunts a year and it's, it's, it's a great time. Um, but if I had to, if I had to drive somewhere and, and be, become my favorite hunt, it'd be like a sharp tail grouse hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's been something that I've just, um, I, mean, I think my only, my first sharp tail hunt was only like two or three years ago yeah. and it is just taken over. Like that's like those, those wide open, big grassland prairies. Like that's the kind of stuff I want to be hunting in. And so I'll, I'll make, you know, three and a half hour, one way day trip. So it's, it's about six and a half, seven hours of driving, yeah. um, to do a, to do a day trip. And to me, it's worth it. Like it's, it's, it's totally worth, you know, a quick trip. I'll, I'll do a couple overnighters a year. And uh, just get out chasing those those sharp tails. That's that's kind of like my ideal go to hunt that I just I can't get enough of. That's cool. That's very dedicated, but definitely <laughs> something I can relate to. I'm I'm lucky that I don't necessarily have to drive that far to do um, that kind of hunting. I got to drive a lot farther than that to do any real sharp tail hunting. So, and I do that every year, and I can I can absolutely relate to wanting to do that because. Something about seeing those dogs run that wide open country, shorter grass, you know, you can really, you can see the whole thing unfold in front of you. And I don't recall how much forest grouse hunting you've done, if any yet. Have you, have you done zero, some zero no? forest okay. grouse? And okay, that's so. definitely, definitely on my list. I think that that would probably become, uh, or that would probably come before chucker for me. I, I think getting into the forest and that, that's definitely on my list to, uh, to try. Yeah. So you will be, uh, you'll be focusing on, on sharp tails as much as you can this fall as much as much as i can yeah again like i said i can make make some day trips um sage grouse is on my list i want to shoot one sage grouse in my life yeah and so it would be it would be pretty cool to uh, see if i can make that happen this year as well what do you feel like you've learned in the last two three years about hunting sharp tails like how do you how are you feeling about it what questions do you have i think the biggest thing I, i've taken away and again it's it's been fun to like be in it and like and start to figure those things out. Like start mm-hmm. to figure out, like like I'm taking my time now. After I, after I shoot one or move a covey, I'm like I'm doing a quick look around. Like, hey, where were they? How many of them were there? Where were they facing? Which direction did they fly? Like I'm trying to like evaluate some of those things now. Yep. So that like the next year I go back, or the next trip I take, like I'm a little more educated and understand like okay, this is how you do it. This is how you find them when you find them. So that's been a, like a fun part. I'm still in the mix of right now. Um, you know, finding them on, on those, like the, the hills, like, again, yep. I think in my mind, it was like, yeah, just f- like, again, going into this years ago, it was like flat CRP fields or cornfields. Like that's where you found pheasants. So that's where you find Sharpies, right? No, it's not. <laughs> so I think the big thing is like, it's, it's some hilly terrain that these birds are going to be on. Um, yep. and last year I found several in, I think you, call, you would call them like a bowl almost. Yeah, like it's a dip in the terrain. Maybe you have a yep. few peaks so or knobs nearby. Top, yeah, exactly. So a top of a hill, and then there's like, yeah, like a little dip, like a little bowl or something. Yep. And that's where I was starting to find a lot of them last year as well. And again, this is, you know, around where I'm hunting, up north. And so that was that was kind of fun to start seeing. Like they're using this 
for some reason. And, and again, once you explore a little more, oh, there's, you know, a bunch of, there's a berry clump right in the middle. And so th- mm-hmm. those are some of the fun things that I started to kind of unpack and go like, all right, this is cool now. Like th- you're starting to learn this a little bit more and that's, that's when it becomes really fun. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if the, it's universally true wherever sharp tails are. I, I've hunted them in, in a very limited number of areas, but the relationship of sharp tails and topography was something mm. that really piqued my interest after a few years doing it. I did not have that in the back of my mind getting started as you're kind of alluding to, but hunting the, the high ridge line, working the, you know, working the sides of the top two thirds of those hills. And especially if you find like where you're talking about a, a little bowl or something that is elevated above the rest of the terrain, but it's tucked down away from the wind, learning how to hunt the topography and hunt the the side of the hill that it doesn't have the wind blasting right into it all of those like little subtle nuances that's the mm-hmm. kind of stuff that i'm like just observing that kind of stuff and how it relates to the birds and their movements like that's what makes makes it so fun i think absolutely and i, I gotta tell you a story so my very first yeah. sharp tail uh I, I ever ever shot or saw to be honest um, so a few years ago, I was out in out in Nebraska, and I was listening to a bunch of podcasts. And Tyler Webster, he, he's done a great job of kind of like helping you understand like mm-hmm. you know, the food source and the terrain and stuff. So I was I was doing a deep dive before my my first sharp tail September hunt, and uh, I was kind of like walking aimlessly, didn't see any birds for the first day and a half, and finally, like I I, I take a, a rest, and I, I just I looked on my feet, and there's a little clump of berries. And I go like, oh, that's the first clump of berries I've seen in a, in a day and a half. That's really cool. That's what I heard they're, they're eating. They're going to be looking yeah. for those berries. Were they white well, or as red? I, uh, red. The red ones, okay. Red one, red berries. And so I look at these berries. I'm having this, like, this epiphany in my mind. I yeah. look up. And my dog, Gage, is on point, <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe 7,500 yards away. And then there goes the sharp tails. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. It's like <laughs> everything just came together as soon, as soon as I found those berries. So go up there a little further. He, he uh, relocates points again. There was a single I shot, uh, my very first one. And yeah. so that was, it was a cool, like everything just kind of came together. Once I, once I found the berries, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's, I don't know, maybe it's, if it's something about that landscape where it just from afar, everything looks so much the same. But until you're maybe stopped standing and looking down, you start to see the those berries, whether the snowberries or buffalo berries or rose hips. I I don't even have them all straight. I know the rose hips are yeah. red, but I just know they were berries. They were red <laughs> berries. Whatever the, whatever those are, that's what they were. I had a li- I had a listener write in. I'm gonna get it wrong now because um, I I was saying buffalo berries. Like these are just terms that I've hear hear people say: snowberries, buffalo berries, and like I think I know. Which one rose is hip. which? But okay. yeah, well, and the rose hip. Is that, di- yeah. is that different? Or is that still a berry? You know what? I don't know. I really don't know. The a rose hip is a little red thing that honestly kind of looks like a tomato, and if you like crush it up, there's like seeds inside. Okay. Um. So I guess berries kind of have seeds. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> We're lacking still on We're my. Still yeah, I'm lacking on my my prairie plant. Um, stuff, man, I could barely tell you the difference between a hazel catkin and an aspen catkin. <laughs> I, I hunt in the, in the grouse woods all the time, but yeah, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. That's what makes me a, <laughs> makes me a bird hunter and not a botanist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole nother world, man. Some, some, some people can, can be walking like, Oh, that's a so-and-so that's a, I'm like, yes. how do you know that difference? Well, and I recent I recently interviewed my, my buddy that is a county forester here. And, and I, as I said on that episode, 
you know, the more I do learn and pay attention to that stuff, the more enjoyment I get out of it because you, you just kind of, it, it deepens your understanding of the habitat, the landscape, the birds, and their relationship with it all. So I'm, I'm just scraping the surface with sharp tails, but I'm, I am as fascinated with them and their native landscape as you are. So I was like, the more, the more you under, and you know this, but like, yeah, the more you understand like the habitat and, and the, uh, I don't know. It brings another component to the hunting experience. Honestly, it, yes. it helps you slow down a little bit and appreciate the, the, the work that they're doing in, in the managing the forest and the managing yep. the grasslands. Like it, I don't know. It, it brings a new dimension when you, you know, get to understand some of that stuff more, ask questions, figure things out. Um, it's, it's, it's a cool experience for sure. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably the simplest way to put it. And most people that are listening probably are maybe nodding their heads in agreement there. Cause yeah, it's, I think it's something we all kind of, feel and experience but it's not always the easiest to put into words yeah exactly have your kids been out hunting with you at all walking along or doing anything like that are they they helping train bird dogs that kind of thing yeah so no so no official hunting trips yet um okay. have not have not done went down that route yet i haven't even really honestly researched like hunting laws and ages and stuff like that right yet for where, right. where i hunt um, so I'll be getting that in a few years. My oldest is 10. Um, she definitely, I know is going to want to get out. Um, the eight year old, he's, he's kind of so-and-so like he, like he'll take, I don't know, he could like take or leave bird dogs and birds and, and like, he's like, it's fun. It's okay. okay. The five-year-old is a different story. The five-year-old boy, he is like, oh my gosh, he, like the birds <laughs> and the dogs, like he is all about like training and he want he's walking around with his Nerf gun, pretending he's shooting birds and. Um, like he loves like studying the birds and the pigeons and like, how do they home dad? And so that's like those, those two right now, the, the 10 and the five-year-old right now, um, I try to take them along to as many, like as many times as I'm training dogs or even running them with birds or without, like as much as I can getting them out there. Cause, um, they really enjoy it. And it's just, it's one of those mm-hmm. experiences that, um, yeah, you know, I mean, come on, you get to spend more time with your kids. That's, that's a huge plus right there. Absolutely. Just say that. But then, okay, you're spending time with your kids, creating memories, experiences. Like, they're getting to experience something that not a lot of kids are going to get to experience. Like, hey, this is how you work a dog and a pigeon. We're, you know, working wool breaking with wind or, like, whatever we're working on. Like, it creates such an opportunity for um, for them to experience those things. And, and you know, the five-year-old, he's like, I want I want Britney's when I'm older. And my daughter, she, <laughs> you know, she wants dogs. And, like... Like to see that that passion starting to to develop for them, yeah, um, it's it's been one of the coolest things that, that uh, I've gotten to gotten to do. Yeah, it's really it's really neat to hear about kind of the differences in in how some of your kids are taking to it in a different way. Just because mm-hmm. my oldest, he's four, and he's really, I mean, he's really into certain things, the dogs, and he's he's walked along on a couple of of grouse hunting trails last fall. We did that, but he's like, I got him a hunting vest and. I, I feel like I'm not, you know, I'm not forcing anything. He obviously gets plenty of exposure just with the stuff that I'm keeping busy with, but he seems into it. And so I'm, I was kind of asking myself, like, is that, is that just kind of like, just because I'm doing that or is like he taking a liking yeah. to it? And I don't know if that will be the same for the younger one, but just interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, the, the, f- the five-year-old, he so like for Christmas, he wanted this, he, he wanted to pretend, pretend Brittany dog. Um, he wanted a, uh, <laughs> one of those like field King bird bags 
and oh, he wanted nice. a collar and a leash for his dog. Like, so he's like starting to recreate like yes. some of these things. Yeah. And so, and, oh, and pretend pigeons. I think for his birthday, he wanted stuffed <laughs> pigeons. And so he'll go out in the backyard, man. I can't make this stuff up. He's, he's got his orange, you know, field king bird bag, got his stuffed pigeons in there, got his little red rider uh, BB gun that we, you know, that obviously doesn't have, have BBs in it. Yeah. And he's like, you know, like taking birds from the bag, tossing them in the air, shooting the gun. And it's like he's having he's having the time of his life right now. And then, you know, he's got you know, his little buddies over and he's like, Oh no, we gotta plant the bird over here and then we and then we sneak up on it. And I'm like, This is amazing. Like <laughs> this is this is ideal right now. And that's the stuff that he's you know, like you said, he's he's choosing himself. He's telling us, Hey, I wanna I want a new collar for my dog. Can I get an orange one? I have a blue one instead now. I'm like, Who are you? <laughs> that is good. So I will say that is one of the simple joys of, of having kids is seeing them sort of recreate the things that they have watched you do or observed. And then they're emulating that. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, it's so, so fun to see. It's so much fun. It is, it is just a blast. And, and like I said, it makes things, it makes things tough though. Sometimes like, like I took my, the two boys out training with me a couple weeks ago, um, had some pigeons, got the bird launcher out and it turned like a, maybe going to be like, I was going to be out there 45 minutes. I didn't have a lot of time. It turned it into like an hour and a half, maybe two hour experience. Mm. Just because it's, it's slower. Like, yes. you know, the, we go into the pigeon coop on this property I go to and get the pigeons, bag them up, walk out to the field. Someone's got a pee. Someone falls down and got hurt. Like it, it's, it can be a cluster sometimes. Like it, it can be kind of, kind of difficult, but in retrospect, like, you know, those drives home, you know, they both got a big smile on their face and, you know, mm-hmm. they had a good time. They're asking questions. And so it's all worth it. It does, it, it does have its challenges though. Yeah. A hundred percent. And everything is kind of an exercise in patience. And yeah. oftentimes it, it's like at the end of the day, you look back and you're like, gosh, how did I lose my patience there? You know, like I was out there doing this, I was having fun with my kids. And as much as I, you know, I try not to, to lose patience with my kid. It's just like in your yeah. mind, sometimes you're like, God, let's move it along. And it's like, totally. It, it's just, I mean, that's, that's life. That's not that's, always perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, but yeah, the, it does have its challenges logistically and, and the kids are excited about it. And sometimes, uh, you know, I bite off a little bit more than I can chew as far as like the distance we're going to go or, or yeah. run the dogs or do this or that, but yep, um, yep. it's all a learning experience. Absolutely. Or yeah. Or you're out there and they're, you know, I don't know, you're doing a, a woe drill and you're trying not to woe your dog, but then the kids are like, Hey dad, what does woe mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, buddy, let's not say that we're, well, whoa, what do you mean? Like, I'm like, don't, <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just have to laugh sometimes. I'm like, okay, yeah. whatever. Like it's not going to be perfection. These dogs aren't going to, you know, it's, it's just for fun. So <laughs> it's a good time. Speaking of dog training, I did want to ask you about the, uh, the Nastra stuff and NSTRA, oh, yeah. right? Picked up uh, on that. N A S N wait National Shoot to Retrieve Association yeah yeah Nestra <laughs> yeah so you did one of those for the first time this year uh, right uh, uh, last year last year was my first my last first year. intro okay. to it yeah so last fall I think what led you into that inspired you to do so and what are what has been your experience so far yeah um, I think I, I, I think being a, so being around my, my mentor Jeff uh, Jeff Hoskins he's he's big into the AKC field trial stuff and just um, to see see the level of his dogs and who and just who his dogs are like when you get to see them run yeah. see their personalities see their drive their their natural talent like there's something special there and and I guess that kind of inspired me like I always watched mm-hmm. him him you know run these dogs and train these dogs for these trial events. 
And there was just kind of all this bugging me of like, like I want to do that. Like I, I want to try. Like, like I don't know what that would look like or how my dogs would do. But um, yep. so there's, there was kind of this itch in me just to just to try it and, and give it a go. Um, so I actually I've tried three different types of events. Actually, I, I okay. tried a uh, an AKC hunt test um, with Gage, which was, which is really cool. It's more of a pass, pass fail kind of event. Okay. Um, so you're not really competing against other dogs, anything like that. Tried uh, my first AKC horseback trial, um, this really? past year. Yeah, that was, That's that cool. was an, ex- that was an experience. Um, ran that with win and then, uh, have been running Gage in the Nastra trials as well. And so it's been cool to, I guess, see the differences between the different yep. events. And it's, it's honestly given me a good, um, a good path to go, okay, this is what, like this is what's most enjoyable for me, honestly. Like it, it's for for me, it's it's a again. People always say it a way to extend the season. You know, do something mm-hmm. with your dog. I, I enjoy the. And I know some people don't enjoy this, but I, I like the competition and kind of like seeing where my dog stacks up against someone else's dog. Like that's just it's just kind of fun for me. Yeah. Um, you know, Gage has has thankfully done really really well in some of the Nashra events. He's he's taken a couple firsts, a couple seconds. Um, and it's, it's been fun and not to say the other events have not been fun. It's just kind of what, a, what appeals to you when you're in it, when you have your boots on the ground, you're meeting the people and, and you're running some of these events. Like you get to kind of learn one, what your dog is going to excel in and two, what's most enjoyable for you. And so I'm thankful I've, I've tried some different, different events. Yep. Um, Nash, has been one that's, uh, that's kind of gripped me in so far. We, we don't have time to go into all three of those or do a full breakdown or anything, but just because I, that nstra one has been of interest to me over the years and i really have never covered it on the show what is it what are the give me the basic like what does it look like what does the event look like from your perspective show up go to it with your dog what does somebody need to know before they sign up for something like that yeah that's a great question um so so nestra um a lot of people will may have said this but it is i think most like hunting uh, it's most like a, a, a hunting scenario. So a lot of people will ask like, oh, do you have to train your dogs differently for Nashra than you would hunting? And how do they, they transition between the, the hunting and uh, the trial? Yeah. Uh, in my mind, it's, it's very like you're training your, your bird dog. Ho- however you hunt, they're going to they're gonna do just fine in Nestra. Um, so I, I think it's most similar, which, which might be why it's most enjoyable for me. I don't have to train something totally different um, mm-hmm. to be able to run these, these events. Um, so, so a typical event, just real quick, is um, typically there's two fields running at the same time, um, and there's a, a brace in each field. And so you know, I'm paired up with another dog, and there's a 30-minute clock, and five birds are planted. Um, the same thing's happening in A field as the same thing's happening in B field. So basically f- group, group one over here in B, group two over there in, in A field. So a ju- there's two judges. Um, each judge follows a handler and a dog, and then halfway through they switch. So both judges are they're really getting to see both dogs. Uh, two dogs. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Get to get to work the field. Um, so they'll follow you around, and um, there's a there's a scoring breakdown. They score you on uh, the find, uh, the retrieve, um, obedience, groundwork. And I am blanking on the last one. There's five categories that they that they score you in, hmm. um, and so it's it's a very it's a more black and white system. Um, my experience with some of the AKC trials have been a little bit more subjective on on scoring. Again, again pros and cons to to both systems and both judging yep. styles. But um, I, again, my personality like I want a black and white. Here's my score at the end of the day, and and I, I know what that was in each of those categories. Um, so yeah, after that 30 minute brace, um, 
you know, your, your scores total up, they put it on a big board and, um, and typically you run like one day, you'll typically run, uh, two trials or two fields with your one dog. Um, so it's been, it's been some great people. I mean, the, the, the people I've gotten to, to run against and, and just talk with at these events have been uh, some of the nicest and outgoing people I've, I've gotten to meet in the dog world. And so, um, that's a big component of just, you know, being around people that, that you want to be around and, and you want to talk with, um, yeah. it's just been something that's, that's been, uh, drawing me back. It, and it's all, it's all, all of the scoring and judging and stuff is on the dogs. It's how do they handle like the shooting component of it? So they're, they're not judging the handler. They're not judging okay. the handler at all. It is judging the dog. Um, if you, this is getting into maybe some of the nuances, but like you, you can call a safety. Um, if you call a safety, Can't you'll shoot. get, um, yeah, if someone in front of you, too close to the you know gallery, things like that. Um, yeah. They'll they'll give you full score for that. So if you call a safety, they'll give you full score. For some reason, if they if your dog didn't get a chance to retrieve that bird because you didn't shoot it, um, let's say you only had that one fine, your dog didn't get to retrieve. At the yeah. end of that run, they'll take a bird and they need to see your dog retrieve to give you that that total score. Gotcha. Um, so there's there's some little nuances and things like that, but okay. um, for the most part, they yeah they have to retrieve. Um, backing is one of those. It's a, kind of a, a bonus uh, scoring system uh, if your dog backs uh, the other dog. Um, so like for me, Gage he doesn't back naturally, and, and you can't woe them into a back. Um, so so for me is another dog goes on point. I'm actually going to steer gauge kind of away from them, let them find their bird, whatever. And we're going to go find our own bird because yep. I, I know he's not going to back naturally. And so I'm like, well, why waste time in trying to do that when, you know, we're just going to go find our, find more birds and try to get our own score. So you are in the same field as another dog and handler. Yeah. Yep. So there's, there you're, you're, you're braced up or brace mate. Um, okay. So you're running, okay. running at this at the same time. So the fields are, fields are pretty large. I forget the acreage, but um, they're, yeah. they're pretty large fields. And you said there's five birds out five birds. Yeah. Yeah. So the first field or the first run of the day, they put six out. Um, Cause if there's any carryovers, cause then, yeah. So a- after that, if they plant five birds every time. So yeah. um, I've had, I've had days where I've had first run and, and did awesome. I've had days where I did first run and found none. And so it, it just, it depends. Yeah. Is it? So I mean, 30 minutes, I think 30 minutes, five birds and some kind of a, I don't know if it's confined area, but is it normal or not normal to like go out and find all five birds or not find five birds? Or is there any rhyme or reason to it? Um, I would say in my experience, it's been abnormal to find five for one person to find all five birds. Okay. Um, okay. usually it's like a, a two, three or a four, one, um, or, a, or a four, zero. Like it, it depends. Um, yeah. some of the, some of the braces can be pretty close, which kind of makes it exciting. I mean, you're kind of looking over your shoulder, yeah. you know, you hear your, your brace mate, uh, the handler yell point. Like then you see, you see a bird, you hear a shot. You're like, okay, he's got one. Yeah. There's only four left. So it kind of puts, puts that pressure on a little bit. And, and again, you're yeah. trying to understand, okay, he was in, the, on that far edge and he found a bird. So there's probably not going to be another bird over there. So we're going gonna... right. to naturally, you're going to kind of separate a little yeah. bit, cover different ground. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you kind of got to be thinking while you're out there as well of just, again, be conscious of, of where the people are. But yeah, I mean, a, a good, a good score, a, a good average score, I would say is like in the, that 900 range, a 900 mm-hmm. total, total points. <laughs> um, again, there, there is out of bound markers. And so if your dog spends too much time out of bounds, um, you're going to get, I don't know if it's penalized or, or DQ'd. So if your dog is out, mm-hmm. out of the bounds uh, for too long, the judge has a clock. Um, and again, that's going to go to obedience. If you can't get him back in bounds, well, then his obedience score is going to be a 
you know, next to nothing. Um, mm. so, so they're, you know, again, they're, they are, they're watching how the dog handles, you know, again, they're not judging me as the handler, but they're judging how, how well is the dog coming with me, turning if I need him to turn those kind of things. Right. Right. Gotcha. Interesting. So yeah. when is she's, she hasn't done that yet. No, not yet. Um, so, okay. I mean, to be competitive, they need to retrieve. Um, so yeah, I need to, right. to force fetch her. Um, she's, she'll do it here and there, but, um, to, to be competitive, I mean, you got to have a, a solid retriever. And so, um, I'll, I'll maybe force fetch her maybe, I don't know, maybe next, next spring or something like that. And then, uh, and get her, her running in there. But yeah, I'm looking forward to having, cause when you only have one dog, I mean, you're doing a lot of sitting around. Cause if, if I'm only running two times a day out of a, you know, 12 hour day, yeah. I mean, you're doing a lot of sitting. So some of these, some of these guys um, I'm competing against have four or five dogs. Sure. And so they're, it, it's more action, the more dogs you have. Cause you're, you know, you're running quite a bit. And so I look forward yeah. to, uh, to getting more, more dogs in it. <laughs> <laughs> Is there different age classes or how do they do that? Or are all the dogs in the same competition? Um, all the dogs in the same competition, um, different regions will do something called a- the amateur division. Okay. Uh, and the open division, not, not all Nashville regions do that, but the region, the Rocky mountain region I'm in, they, they do an amateur and an open kind of the cool thing is it, it kind of helps those, those newbies who are just getting into it, who maybe have a younger dog actually can earn points. So, so they could win the amateur championship. So of all the amateur dogs that are entered, so let's say there's 10 amateur dogs and 20 open dogs out of all the amateur dogs, I could win first place out of, uh, in the amateur division but if I scored high enough in that division, I get points for the open division as well. Hmm. And so there's, there's two different tiers of championships on a dog. I can have an amateur championship on Gage, and I also could have uh, uh, just a championship on, on him, which is part of the open division. Um, so it was kind of cool. So, again, I, I think it, it, it helps encourage those, those newbies who have, have younger dogs who are just getting into it. Be competitive in the amateur division but use those same points to be able to compete against those, those older, uh, more experienced dogs. So that's been kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Nastra. Yeah. A little, uh, little, <laughs> a little yeah. Nastra dog. Again, I'm, Intro not, I'm, not, basics. <laughs> I'm still learning a ton on it myself and, but it's, yeah. it really has been a lot of fun. And, um, again, just, just getting to see a, a dog that, that does well at it. It's, it's fun to see when you when your dog's competing against some, some other big ones. Yeah. I found that interesting. When I, I heard you talk about it on the show and it was again, something I, I had thought of and I don't, I mean, I assume there's something in the Midwest around here, but I, I've never heard, seen an event like, oh, it's down the street. You know, maybe I'll yeah. go check it out. So I haven't had a chance to go to anything like that. But totally interesting. Any plans for another dog yet, or uh, are you just gonna work on uh, kiddo number six first, and then start thinking about the next bird dog? <laughs> um, we we are thinking about another bird dog. Um, okay. I have I have some plans. Uh, a litter right now that we we uh, well we're gonna we're yeah we're taking we're taking another male male Brittany out of a litter. Um, oh. So those that's in the works that that's set in motion already. Um, and yeah, we're taking it home like right before the baby comes. So (laughs) (laughs) it it, it was one of those litters, Nick, that I don't know. It was just one of those litters that I I saw the parents, I learned more about the dad. I I know (laughs) the mom, I've seen the mom run and yeah, I, I, I couldn't pass it up. And so I had, had the wife's full support, which was always, always good. Highly recommend that. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we, uh, we, yeah, we're excited. Well, you have got your act together, buddy. I commend you. <laughs> not, not all the time. Not all the time. Uh, oh, it's fun, man. What's what's one more dog? When you have six kids, 
two dogs. Like, honestly, what's one more? I mean, come on. Yeah, you can handle <laughs> <It's> like, it. <laughs> like, come on. It's like, <laughs> we already have all the stuff. It's like, it's just, you know, you're just paying for the dog and just, you know, you know it'll be fun. I, I love uh, I love working with young dogs, you know, helping develop puppies and stuff. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, that's super cool, man. You've got exciting times ahead this year beyond hunting season. We're staring down the down the barrel of hunting season here. It's it's coming up quick. I can't wait. I know you can't wait. What is you want to tease anything on the Upland Rookie podcast? Got anything coming up that you want to maybe mention for the listeners? And I, I certainly encourage folks to go check out the Upland Rookie podcast. But what's coming up? Yeah, thanks so much, man. Um, yeah, nothing too crazy. Um, like I said, episode 50 will be dropping here very soon. Um, I have a special yeah. guest coming on um, for episode 50, which I'm pretty excited about. Nice. Um, so that'll be coming up. I have uh, I have some kind of a redesign of my logo coming up, um, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Worked with someone um, in the Upland community who's who's doing an awesome job on, on some logos. And so, um, doing, yeah, a little update with that. That I'm uh, I'm pretty pumped about, but other than that, man, just got some really cool guests. Uh, I, I, got, I got a bunch recorded right now, and I'm just itching to like get get some of these these episodes released, and just because there's there's some really cool cool conversations. Awesome, and folks can find that anywhere they can find the Birdshot Podcast. Do you have a website where folks can go as well? Uh, no, no website yet. Okay, uh, just yeah, just a, a Patreon page and Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Good deal, man. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to come on and and chat with me and the Birdshot podcast listeners. And as I mentioned before, if, uh, if folks enjoy this show, I think they will, they will definitely enjoy your show, Will. So I encourage them to go check that out. They could find links to that in the show notes. And, man, I wish you the best of luck in all you have ahead of you this year. It's going to be awesome. And I certainly hope that our paths can cross, whether it's here, out there, somewhere else. Uh, would love to love to share a field or a, or a piece of cover with you someday, man. Um, hopefully we can make that happen. Yeah, I'd love that, Nick. That would that'd be super cool. And thank you again for, uh, for having me on. This is always a always good time chatting with you, so I appreciate you having me on. Anytime, buddy. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt and Final Rise. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, and share, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.